fire, fire. Good day, good day, good day, everyone. It's your boy, Pete the Planner. Yeah, I started Pat again. I don't know why I should take uh, hi, welcome to the show. Sorry, we're a couple minutes running behind today. We had another event, but I want to show you the team that we're rocking with. Today. Of course, we've got your co-host, as always, Damian Dunn, and Lisa Whitley, a beloved member of the <laughs> Hey Money and Your Money Line team, coming to us from the nation's capital. Hello, Lisa. Good afternoon to you. I like the headset. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think you bought it. Oh, well. <laughs> It felt like I was stitching for a compliment there, but uh, that's not. Uh, so, Lisa, we have a lot of regular listeners to the show, including Danza, who was listener of the year last year. She's meow. Uh, Jameson is the all-time best listener to the show. He is in Texas, and I believe he has got his first vaccination. Uh, Nick says, welcome, Lisa. And Amanda Grace says, good day, too. Lisa, you wrote a great piece that we're going to start the show with this week. Um, and so... You know what? Let's let's actually get started. Let's let's work our way through that right now. Uh, the first segment, Lisa, in case you don't know, is nine minutes and twenty-two seconds. So if you want to set a separate clock or at least keep your eye on it, it's nine minutes and twenty-two seconds. And uh, let me get ready to go, Dame. After this segment, we are going to do. Uh, uh, there's a piece that that you read on Monte Carlo simulations, which is one of our favorite things because we're nerds. Um, but where they fall apart. We're going to talk about where they fall apart, uh, and that's going to be probably segment two and three, and of course, biggest waste of money of the week. If anyone feels like I'm shot out of a cannon today, there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, I had all the coffee. Number two, um, I just got done with a live streaming event right before this that took me up to the second, so it became very difficult. Neil Brown joins, uh, by the way, via Facebook Live right now, says, I am live. Am I live? And the answer is, Neil, I don't know if you're live. Depends what you did last night. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, here we go. Let's segment starting in three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You can email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com, and we will do our best to accommodate you. We come to you live on Facebook every Friday at noon. You can watch this show being recorded live on Facebook or YouTube live noon on Fridays Eastern. Joining me as always is Damian Dunn, Vice President of Advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. And I'm very thrilled. We've got a brand new, uh, brand new um, member of the radio show today. That's Lisa Whitley, a team of uh, a team member for Hey Money and Your Money Line. Lisa, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Welcome to you. Uh, well, Lisa, here's the thing. You're on here today for a, a number of reasons, one of which is you wrote a really, really great piece um, on your own particular blog that you have at medium.com about long-term care and the costs associated with, with, with care for someone in a long-term care facility and why you know, public policy ignores this idea. Mm -hmm. Can you help us understand your perspective of, of why do you think just general public policy ignores our long-term care need costs? Yeah, pro probably because they're a little scared of it. Um, there was a statistic that I had put out there from Genworth that seven out of 10 people are going to need some kind of long-term care uh, as they age, whether that's in a facility or whether that's at home. And the costs are enormous. Um, it can be six figures. And I think it's just something that we just have not really come to grapple uh, with as a country that uh, where 
you know, retirement now is a lot different uh, than it was, uh, you know, 20 years ago. It lasts a lot longer and it's a lot more expensive. Yeah. And, and what's it's not only the impact on the people that need the care to your point in your piece. It goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah. And, and that's where the public policy, in my estimation, completely fails is who is this average caregiver, Lisa? Yeah. And yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And that's really what inspired it. I had had a conversation um, a few weeks before that with a woman who had a high paying job, left that job and moved to a different place to take care of her mom. So, And in doing so, uh, she had to work, use some of her retirement savings. But more importantly, she was out of the workforce really during her prime earning years. And I realized this was a conversation I had had not one time or two times or even three times, but just repeatedly. And because what we're seeing is that the average caregiver is a 49-year-old woman. And women primarily are the ones who are taking care of elderly parents. So they're leaving the workforce, uh, not contributing to their own retirement, and in many cases, really drawing down their own assets. Yeah, I think what's fascinating about that is at 49 years old, you are the epitome of the sandwich generation. I mean, you, you are, are raising young adult children at, at that age, uh, depending on when you had children, if you had children. And then you're dealing with your own, I'm not going to say midlife crisis, but <laughs> generally when that happens, and then you're dealing with the health and financial ramifications of, of your parents. Lisa, you know, let's say we were blessed enough to have you make public policy <laughs> around this issue. What would it look like? like yeah. what, what things could be done to help with this? Well, I mean, the big one, I mean, the big uh, kahuna would be Medicare. Uh, Medicare, as it currently is, does not cover long-term care costs, which is a huge hole. So if you could imagine a Medicare program where you could cover the costs of having someone in your home to take care of an elderly parent, that alone would for example, free up the ability of uh, that parent or that child, who's usually a woman, to stay in the workforce. Um, so Medicare would be huge. Um, health savings accounts is a very weird thing where you can use your health savings account to meet the cost of long-term care insurance premiums, but you can't use a health savings account to meet the costs of the things that you would be buying with long-term care insurance. It's this weird um, issue. I can't really explain why that is. There was a bill in Congress a couple of years ago to fix that obvious error. Uh, it went nowhere. Um, and then finally, I'd point to dependent tax credit. There's a very small tax credit that you can get for dependent care, but it's a very small number. Uh, it maxes out at a pretty low income. And frankly, it's just not really designed for uh, the kinds of costs you would have uh, if you're taking care of a dependent parent as opposed to a child. Yeah, Dame, you know, you and I have been talking a lot about this advanced tax credit that, that is possibly coming our way in a form of stimulus uh, because maybe Congress realizes how uh, the burden of, of, of dealing with and raising young children it's quite obvious that when it comes to supporting an adult loved one or becoming, you know, you have someone as a dependent who isn't your child, the burden is just as bad. It's just like they have no clue, though. Entirely. I mean, we have this um, this notion, or at least uh, many people in the country do, that 
taking care of your parents is, is something that is, is a noble act and something that you want to try and do. And yet we receive very little uh, assistance to do that when the alternative in many cases is to really start drawing down on your own assets, which is fine. You saved it. You got to use it for something. But beyond that, it comes out of the government's pocket for, for the vast majority of people. So if there's a, a midway point that, uh, that we can somehow meet to make it uh, very reasonable and affordable to keep parents uh, in, in home and be able mm-hmm. to care for their needs, I think that's the best uh, alternative for a number of reasons, not only for their uh, probably their mental benefit and their, their physical benefit, but as we've seen, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, bad things, uh, bad uh, uh, infections and whatnot that can be mm-hmm. easily passed in, in facilities and maybe safer for everybody just to try and avoid those if at all possible. Now, Lisa, there's a couple reasons that are one would think of as to why the government has not addressed making long-term care as part of Medicare, right? The, 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 the two that I can think of, and I would, I'd like to hear if there are more that you can think of, and, and I'm more interested to hear why, what the main one is, but the two are cost, right? The, the mm-hmm. cost to underwrite this. Now, the second, it's one that some people love talking about and other people it frustrates is that then you get into this moral hazard situation where uh, by somehow relying on the government for that service, then you are somehow, um, you know, ignoring some other sort of personal responsibility that you have to prevent it. What do you think that the main culprit is here? I, I think the main culprit really is cost. Um, if you think back when Medicare first started, uh, you know, even prescription drugs weren't covered because it just wasn't important at that time. Um, and then later, when prescription drugs became more a uh, feature of uh, medical care, it was added in. I think we're in the position now where people are living a lot longer. These uh, long-term care costs are, are enormous. And I think if you were going to create a Medicare today, you would put that in. It would be the obvious thing to do. But yeah, I think it's probably a cost issue uh, more than anything else. Yeah, Dame, you know, we talk a lot on this show about how sometimes uh, from a political perspective, some policy doesn't get through because some people feel like it's a disincentive to do something else. You know, as Lisa states here, this does feel like more of a cost issue. Uh, Do you agree? I mean, do you think that's the main issue or do you feel like some it bleeds into personal responsibility as well? I think there's some of both there. And and when you're fighting for dollars, stuff that's that's not not included at this point is going to have a really tough uphill battle to try and get a seat at the table at this point. So even though it may make sense to everybody and it's something that we feel would be a valuable benefit, where are you going to get the money from? So it's a it's a practical argument as well. If people want to read Lisa's work, which I encourage you to do because I always do, uh, she has a blog at L.Y. Whitley. There's an H in there. LYWhitley.media.com. I encourage you to do so. Uh, Lisa, of course, we will have you back. Thank you for joining us here uh, today. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. All right. Coming up after the break, the Monte Carlo simulation, where it falls apart and what you need to do. Next on the Pete the Planner Show, I'm Pete the Planner. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Lisa's uh, amazingness. Hello, Lisa. Thank you. Oh, she took off. I didn't even get to. Oh, man. I told her that afterwards she could leave. But I meant like I wanted to praise her for a while. This is all your fault, Pete. She's good at that. Um, first of all, Dame, I, I know that you get to work very closely with Lisa. She's an amazing writer. 
She brings a lot to our team. Um, and her knowledge on public policy as it relates to people's financial lives is unmatched, truly unmatched. Like there's a lot to love about her, but she understands the ramifications of policy. And I don't know if it's because she lives in DC and cares about those things or what, but she's incredible. Uh, she's very tied in with everything that goes on on the Hill. She is in regular contact with, um, I don't know if they call the the representative for DC or not, uh, but they she she has regular communications with them and she is just as um, up to speed on whatever's going on inside the, the, the Capitol as anybody else that I've ever known. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, so Dame, uh, we're able to have more guests like Lisa now because we've switched off of how we record the show, which makes everyone happy because I have less technical issues and we get to have awesome people like Lisa. Now, Dame, this past week, you, um, you read uh, a piece and, and went through some training around Monte Carlo simulations and where they begin to fall apart. And in my book, Mock Retirement, the concept of mock retirement is where you practice being retired before you retire to, to validate your retirement plans. It does rely heavily on um, Monte Carlo simulations. So I'm, I'm fascinated with them. I know you love them, but I'm really excited to dig into them. And the, the biggest thing that people will learn on this is, of course, it's a, it's a hypothetical situation. It can fall apart. But we're, what we're going to talk about is where financial advisors often fail in respect to uh, fixing these challenges. So uh, there you go. Now, to be fair, I watched a webinar. I really didn't read anything. But let's not give me too much credit. Look, I'm feeling very generous today. Okay. And so I I think it's a 40-week 40 40 week study that you just went through. Uh, it, it felt like that at times. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, you ready to go? Yes. Uh, three, two, one back on the Pete, the planner show. Uh, Lisa's great, Dame. I love Lisa. I love working with her every single day. So we have this mechanism within our organization that whether you're, uh, you are a your money line client, which means you get to our guidance through your employer, or if you're a hay money client, which means you get to advice through your own good decision to go to callheymoney.com and to get a uh, little birdie on your shoulder a financial birdie on your shoulder, like Dame or Lisa or anybody else from our team, Dame, this mechanism within our system is that we get feedback as, as to, you know, Hey, this was my experience with Lisa or whoever. Lisa's are always, uh, all our teams are great, but Lisa's always the same thing. It's like, Oh my gosh, I feel so much better. Um, she's so smart and, uh, she's a great listener. And so that is the truth, man. Yeah. She has the uh, fantastic ability of being able to distill very complex things down to easily understandable bits. So she's a huge asset to our team. Speaking of complex things, there is a concept called a Monte Carlo simulation that financial advisors often use. It helps a person determine uh, based on a, you know, different variables, how much money it will be left over in their retirement plan. There's a better way to say that it is how successful will their retirement income strategy be? And it's based on how much money you're plugging in, what your assumed rate of return is based on your asset mix, how much money you take out on a regular basis, a couple other factors. Dame, I love them. They help us give people confidence by saying, okay, if you take 4% out a year, this could be your chance of failing. And Or if you take 3% out a year, then your chances increase at success. And on paper, it's pretty clinical. It, like, this is your choice. This is what happens. 
But Dane, based on this webinar that you uh, had a chance to to spend a lot of time on this week, where, where do these things fall apart? Where where does this great analytical tool fall flat? There's a couple of areas that, that really need to be addressed. And I, I think uh, some financial planners may have been blind to these things as well, just because we, we lean really hard into chances of success. And when you get a really good score back, you feel pretty good about it. But Monte Carlo only really addresses one dimension. Is it going to work? Yes or no? I think, and uh, forgive me, I, I seem to remember you using the illustration of if you were going to get on a plane and you had an 80% chance of making it, you're probably not getting on that plane. Am I making that up or have you used that that illustration? Yeah, you know what? That that's that's how I did it. And and I'll even go further. It was an eight percent chance of failure, right? Like okay. if, if there's an eight percent chance of rain, you you aren't taking an umbrella. In fact, you might even wear suede. But if there's an eight percent chance of a plane crash, you're not getting on the plane. When when people look at Monte Carlo failure rates, they for some reason, and this is wild, and advisors let people get away with this, they'll say, Ah, 8% chance of failure. I'm comfortable with that. Why? Why are you comfortable with that? Well, let's talk about that. So we're not judging the magnitude of the failure and we're not a planning for change in your plan as time goes on either. So if you find out you know, there's a really horrible year in the markets, hopefully you're set up to where you can spend less money, have less drawdown on your, your resources during those times to hopefully maintain or maybe even increase the likelihood of success. And how many of those 8% chances of failures or that, that failed 8% of the time, how drastic were they? What was the magnitude of failure during those times? Were you just a few thousand dollars short for, for a number of those? Were you a hundred thousand dollars short for some of those? Those are drastically different scenarios that you need to be aware of. Yeah, I think as we solve problems, not you and me and our organization, I'm saying all just as people, humanity, as you solve financial problems throughout your working years, you, you come across an issue, you analyze what the issue is, and then you get to work on it, right? In retirement, if the challenge you run up against is you ran out of money, dude, there's no plan B. And, and that's, that's where when we talk about distribution rates and, and decumulation, in the retirement world, it's a completely different ballgame. It's not problem solving as a person with, with not only working capital, but earned income to deal with those challenges. It's out of money, no plan B, no recourse. And that's what, when people are dismissive of the failure percentages of their retirement, my mind is blown. I'm like, you don't realize that there's no backup plan. You're out of money. You're moving in with, with uh, junior at that point. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you at that point. I, I do think, however, there's again, other things that Monte Carlo doesn't take into account for, you know, when we set up a financial plan, I have no idea how many you ran Pete, but probably a number of them. You plug in a certain amount of money that you want to spend uh, per month or per year into that plan and the, the program takes it from there. It, it will inflate it. It will do all sorts of great stuff. However, studies show that there's a natural decrease in spending as you get older in retirement as well. Our plans model the exact opposite. They model an increase in spending. So we're, we're modeling something that has a small likelihood of happening as well. So we're stacking the deck against us and the client at that point. How do you think 
is this basically just fuel as to why you need to meet with your advisor on a regular basis and adjust your plan? I mean, is to, to me, because I, I know this training you went through, this webinar you watch, is from a financial advisor that's encouraging other financial advisors to have better relationships with their mm -hmm. clients, which by the way, you and I are both proponents of. Mm -hmm. um, but is that the proposed solution? I, I think that's part of it to, to make sure there's a good communication there. However, I, I think it's a little bit more than that too. I, I think this needs to translate into being well prepared for retirement to be able to have that flexibility in retirement. So if, if, you know, rocky uh, markets happen for an extended period of time, you're prepared for that. And it has a, as little impact on your overall plan as possible that you have the flexibility to spend less in certain years if you can. And there's another concept that we're not going to get to today uh, that, that brings in guardrails to this conversation to where if, if you have a really good year, maybe you give yourself a raise that following year, or if you have a really bad year, it's already planned in. It's baked into the plan that you're going to spend less that following year. So it's more of a just let's be prepared for all sorts of situations and build off of that. Yeah. Sequence of return risk is uh, a thing. And what's wild about it is if you even look at the year 2020, the first three months of 2020, February 19th to March 23rd, to be even more specific, if, if for some reason you took action during February 19th to March 23rd because of your fear around sequence of return risk. What I'm saying is you panic sold <laughs> uh, and then missed the opportunity for the early year of your new retirement to be a fruitful one. Wow, Dame, did, I don't want to get dramatic, but you could have ruined your entire retirement. Entirely. Uh, you have to make sure that you are preparing for retirement well in advance of retirement. Uh, if you don't have a plan for what your investments are going to look like, you could very well find yourself in the position that you just described, making a what feels like an emotionally correct decision only to have it turn out to be one that really hampers you from any real chance at long-term success. What's that approach called? It's like the bucket approach or something mm -hmm. like that where you you have two years worth of income essentially set into a bucket so that when February 19th to March 23rd happens, because from time to time it does actually happen. You, there's usually not a 34% bear market uh, in a one month period, but th that you don't feel compelled to have a self own in the world of sequence of return risk. It's the bucket approach. Is, is yeah, yeah. The bucket method, the bucket approach. And and you can expect, you know, three, 5% drawdowns and one 10% drawdown every year. It just happens. So if you guess wrong, you're in trouble. So what's the takeaway here with the 30 seconds we have left? Are we asking people that if they, uh, their advisor has run a Monte Carlo simulation that you ask them to run another one, or are you asking them to ask, how do we need to make adjustments to this going forward? Uh, just have a conversation with them to ask them what that Monte Carlo really means. Is it uh, addressing everything in real good clarity or is there uh, some additional calculations that need to be made? Coming up after the break, I think actually we'll hit a listener question. I had one come in this week that I want to hit. I know it's been a while. All that's next on the Pete the Planner show. I'm Pete the Planner. Yeah, I feel like we hit that topic enough that I feel like we could move on. That's all right. Um you know, and it, it, you and I are not financial planners to take on individual clients. Like we're not, we were, mm -hmm. we, we were at, at some point. I still view myself as a proponent for that industry because the complexity of what you and I have just discussed, even though we 
skimmed the surface is so intense. I don't know how the average person successfully retires and stays successfully retired and doesn't run out of money without a good financial advisor. I have no idea. It gives you a tremendous amount of peace when you know what you're expected to do on a year in year out basis. Does it mean that you can spend $30,000 a year in combination with social security and maybe a pension or whatever else? Does it mean you can spend $60,000 a year? And if you have a great year or bad year or taxes change or, or anything like that, inflation goes up. There's a million different factors that could go into how long that pool of resources lasts for you in retirement. And unless you've considered different angles and variables, the average person just doesn't have any idea. And the, honestly, the, the best shot at that for long-term success is not needing a lot of money at, at that point, because then it really doesn't matter all that much. If, if you can get by, if you're, all of your fixed expenses are covered with fixed income and you don't have a whole lot of variable needs going forward, the demand on that pool of money decreases significantly and you've got a shot at it. But if you are highly dependent on that pool of money, your IRAs, your 401ks, whatever it may be, non-qualified accounts, you better know what's going on because little changes could add up to big problems. I feel like sometimes you either purposefully or not so purposefully poke the bear with me with how upset I get at the financial industry at stoking these beliefs that the solution is to have a lot of money, right? It's a, you know, you, you watch commercials during golf on TV and it's, it's painting this picture of wealth and abundance when the fact of the matter is the vast majority uh, majority, majority. Yeah. That sounds like a word. Are they in the big 10? The Majorians, yeah, it's actually a um, high blood pressure medication. Oh, and if you use Majorian, doesn't it sound like something? It does. The majority of Americans uh, will successfully retire not because they have a lot of money, because they don't need a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And the advertising, this abundance mentality that the financial industry perpetuates is—I'm not saying it's a causation situation. However, it's not exactly helpful. Well, it's a really. Um... <laughs> the demographic that's going to watch those those tournaments and, and see those commercials, if they don't already have a decent amount of money saved up, they're probably going to have to lean towards not needing a whole bunch of money. And so that those those ads are not landing at that point. Do you think it's because the withdrawal withdrawal rate for that people that watch that sport is four percent? Four. I, I got it. <clears throat> four. Let's start the next segment in three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Uh, Dame got a questioner, fresh a questioner, a question straight in the email. <laughs> Dear Pete, we were on a 20 year mortgage loan, decided to free up cash flow, refinance in the fall to a 30 year with intention to pay it as a 15 year once we got the other things in place. It hasn't sat well for the last five or six months. It didn't sit well at the time of signing, but we went forward. Cash flow was to get our emergency fund to a three, six, uh, to six months, we're at four. To fund retirement to 15, we're at six. Uh, company match coming back and setting up Ross with our investment guy soon. And they go back to contributing five twenty to a 529 plan for our seven-year-old. Savings savings pots for plumbing windows future ac furnace and other house maintenance 
We try to help our 22-year-old with college and loans when we can. She's a senior at a local university to get her master's. We hope to pay off her loans completely when the time comes if we have all else in place. We're co-signers on some of her loans. We have no other debt. We have two paid for cars that are 10 and 15 years old. My 10-year-old car is having maintenance issues. The other is not. Now we know we'll stay in this house for at least another 10 years. Could be we always keep this house. It, uh, it values probably 450000 We owe two seventy-five. Uh, and we need to make updates. It was built in 1980. We bought almost seven years ago. Also has a large yard, which requires a lot of maintenance costs. Trees can be costly, you know. My thought is refinance now to a 15-year, but want a home improvement loan with our equity to have these upcoming expenses. Stay within the value of the home at uh, 25% of our take-home pay. With my research, going back to... Uh, Going back up to 2020, sorry, I'm trying to, to decipher this email. Basically, our mortgage payment would go up. Uh, who and what is the best company or program to do this? Rates seem great. Should we do this? The debt scares me, but knowing it's going back into the house, we would get it back up helps. Okay, Dame, there's a lot there. I'm trying to read it on the... So did I understand correct that... Uh, refinanced from a 20 to a 30 to try and free up some cash so they could accomplish a whole bunch of other goals that sure. they've got. And, and I think all, every single one of them that I heard was, was good. It, it was, it would be a good way to, uh, to, to free up some cash flow for that. So, okay. Didn't sit well though. Does that it, mean that the, 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 in, the intention was paved with, uh, or the road to wherever was paved with good intention? Like that was the plan, but it, they haven't done it. Is that what I've heard? It seems like it because in theory, it sounds like that, that cash should have been available and they should have been able to accomplish a whole bunch of goals. But now they want to refinance to a 15-year-old, a 15-year mortgage, take some cash out, speed up the process of getting all those things taken care of, and then pay uh, a 15-year mortgage and uh, over a longer period of time is that right am i am i close yeah so dame you and i last week talked about this concept of a next dollar plan mm -hmm. that when you have so many needs financially and so many priorities plural it's really easy to get distracted and chaos to ensue and and as i said last week you got a bunch of baby birds chirping for a worm and you just don't know which bird that you should spit, shoot up worm into their mouth, right? I mean, very succinctly, <laughs> that's the issue. Is this not why we had that conversation last week? Because when you've got so much going on and you can't actually figure out which is the priority, like what is the number mm -hmm. one thing we should be doing, then you try to solve everything at once and you try to use this like combination magic bullet to solve all of them. And then you end up making mistake after mistake after mistake, because to me, as Danza so eloquently put it in our Facebook live chat right now, this person is using their home as an ATM and their net worth is going backwards, not forwards. In theory, the money should be there on a month to month basis. If they are going to refinance from a 20, uh, sorry, a 30 to a 15, we're, we're probably talking about, multiple hundreds of dollars at this point, a difference in, in what their payment's going to be. And so I think you're exactly right, Pete. I think you're going to have to start identifying what really matters at this point 
and making that money work for you instead of just saying, I have no idea what I'm going to do with, with all these issues. I'm going to just take a big chunk out of my house and solve it that way. A few weeks ago, I was, uh, I said, I'm going to try not to be a tough guy and how I'm less of a <laughs> tough guy than I used to be. But Dave, the other element of this that admittedly I'm not there in my life yet. My, my daughter turns 12 next week. She's, she's not a college age student. The one thing that always I can't get my head around is borrowing for your kid's education. Like I, and this isn't me being like, you're a dummy. If you, I just can't make sense of it other than the love you have for your kids and an obligation you, you feel like you have to their future. It makes no sense to the point of it makes so little sense that it, the lack of sense cannot overcome how much you love them. No, I, I, I agree. I think there's, um, there's a big challenge for a lot of families who, who may have not have been able to go to college themselves for whatever reason, but they want their kid to be the first one to go. And they, they don't want anything to stand in the way. And if that means they have to mortgage their own future to get their kids to go there, they're willing to do that, but they don't see how that's going to fully impact them in the long run. I, I just, and it usually goes, well, what else would we, well, how would they do it? And, and the constant that they choose is that they're going to go to this predetermined university that with a predetermined cost. They never say, oh, well, if we went to a less expensive school or like there's a mechanism for people without funds to pay for college and, and they're called student loans. And I don't love student loans, but I also understand that if someone's going to take a student loan, I want it to be the kid and not the person who is in their forties to fifties. Yeah. You've got your own problems at that point. Now you are closing in rapidly on retirement at that stage. And as I think somebody else pointed out in our Facebook chat, there's no retirement loan store. You, know, you, right. you, you can't go and do that. So first mortgage, Dave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you got to make sure your, your house is in order before you start spending money that you need in the future. You know, it's, this is one of those situations that again, talking heads, personal finance gurus, they'll talk tough about various things. And, and a lot of times when they do, I'll see the other side of it. I'll say, all right, I appreciate the tough talk. I understand that you're doing a thing here. You are doing verbal clickbait. I feel you, right? Mm -hmm. Been there. Uh, and, and the, but there's another, there's another side to it. Like their tough talk sort of falls on deaf ears to some degree because they're, they're either not viewing it empathetically or th they just are not accounting for something. With this particular tough talk point of don't borrow for your kid's college education, I just struggle to see the other perspective. So here's, here's what Pete and I are doing. And if you've got a financial advisor, hopefully what they're doing too. Our concern is for you. Yes. And your financial well-being, not your kids at this point. We're here to make sure. <laughs> That's tough to hear, dude. Yeah, that, that, you, that you are being taken care of first and foremost. If we can manage to take care of your kid's education outside of that, happy to do it. Love to see it, but yeah. we have to make sure you're ready. That's so hard, isn't it? Yeah. 
that that's where you know again part of me talking less tough these days is me saying um i haven't been there yet so i don't know exactly yeah. what that feels like but, but the other failed logic with this is that you assume oh well they'll take care of me someday if i'm able to take care of them they i don't know I don't, there's, there's nothing to say that that, I mean, that's neat. It could yeah. be a great after school special or lifetime movie, but I don't, I don't think it works that way. Better get your long-term care insurance. Is this whole show a callback to itself? All right, Dame coming up for the, after the break, the biggest waste of money of the week and current events. All that is next right here on the Pete, the tough guy show on the Pete, the tough guy radio network. <laughs> oh boy uh, all right um dame i i assume you have a bunch of current events all lined up i have not pulled oh i oh i do have my biggest waste of money yes i sent it to myself earlier this week <laughs> i almost sent it in our current events uh slack channel yeah but i didn't want to oh my gosh i cannot wait to show you this i didn't want to let the cat out of the bag so to speak i'm hoping it has something to do with cats now I'm so excited. I am so excited. Okay. Oh, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is so stupid. Okay. Are you ready? Like, we're just going. If you're ready, I'm ready. Because this, this might be the dumbest thing I've ever shown anyone on this show. I cannot wait to see it. Okay. Here we go. Um. Jameson says, Pete, the tough guy, you started with the cat, dude. I know, but cats can be tough. I mean, Jameson, I'll tell you right now, if a jungle cat came to your house and clawed at you, would you not catch some hands? I don't know. (laughs) Pause. I don't pause. (laughs) Uh, Dame, did I ever tell you about my pet doula service that I wanted to have? Your pet what? Doula, you know, that helps with birth. Oh. It's called pregnant pause. (laughs) Pete the tough guy, everybody. Uh, this is a day, bro. Bro. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner Show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week's right here on the Pete the Planner Show is the pet hoodie. No, the puppet hoodie from Louis Vuitton. Exclusively made to order. This hoodie is all about the public, or pardon me, the puppet details from this season's Louis Vuitton Friends theme. Crafted from a blend of crochet and cotton silk jersey and features embroidered eyes, the puppets are sewn onto a classic hoodie shape in compact felpa cotton. The piece is signed with the collection's new black satin label with beige lettering. All right, so y'all, I need to help you picture this. Here's what we're dealing with here. It is a a hoodie, a black hoodie, in which... Full-sized puppets are just sewn to the hoodie. Dame, what do you think this full-sized puppet hoodie costs? It's from Louis Vuitton. It's exclusive. There are 3D puppets sewn to the shirt. What do you think it costs? That has to be priced at $950. $950 is your is your is your choice. Uh and Dame, I have to tell you how horribly wrong you are. To have puppets sewn to a black hooded sweatshirt is 
$1,000. And that's why it's this week's biggest waste of money. Can, um, we, yes. can we think about the puppets here? I mean, how do you think they feel being stitched to a garment that probably some of their brethren were shredded for the, the material? I mean, they're, they're walking around on a blanket of uh, friends. As uh, when my daughter, Ollie, who will be 12 next week, when she was probably three or four years old, uh, I got her a balloon, uh, like a big mylar balloon, and it deflated. <laughs> and then she made it into a puppet. And I said, uh, that's a balloon. It's not a puppet. And Dame, she said, my hand to the sky, anything can be a puppet. You just have to stick your hand in its hole. I think the puppet community is completely overrated. And as my daughter said, anything can be a puppet. You can just stick its hand, your hand in its hole. Dame, what's in the news this week? Senator Elizabeth Warren on Monday introduced a bill in the Senate that would impose a new tax on the assets of America's wealthiest individuals. The bill would levy a 2% tax for people with a net worth between $50 million and $1 billion. Taxpayers with assets worth over a billion would be subject to a 3% tax. The bill sponsors estimate that it would raise about $2.75 trillion in tax revenue over a 10-year period. Last week, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said a wealth tax has been discussed, but given very, uh, but given very difficult implementation problems, the Biden administration would rather look at increased corporate or capital gains taxes. Pete, I know you're concerned, but this bill isn't expected to pass, even with Democratic control of Congress and the White House. What's the threshold? Fifty million. Fifty million. All right, guys. So as it stands now, and I, I don't like to overshare about what I've got going on. I currently don't have $50 million. What? No, I don't. I don't. Um, and so, I, Dame, did you bring this up because you know how much I'd squirm and I'd have to talk about it? Like, kind of. I, 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 I hate this. I, I don't know. I, well, I know why. I, I hate this bill. And, and yes, I feel that I want good tax rates. <laughs> for the uber wealthy taxing their net worth though makes close to zero sense to me and i do realize that you know wealthy people will constantly use tax evasive maneuvers to avoid particular types of ta taxes but taxing someone's net worth as opposed to their income Oh my God, why am I going to say, why did you do this, Dan? I'm about to say something that I'm going to grow to hate in the comments and the what? It doesn't seem fair. It just doesn't. And I, no. Uh, well, it, taxing anything twice doesn't seem like it's fair. I mean, somebody might say, well, capital gain. Well, no, you're taxing the gains. That's what capital gains is. You're not taxing the original amount that was invested. If you've taxed it once, leave your hands off it. I don't care if you make $50,000 or $50 million. Let the government take it once. That's it. I saw something, some dumb Twitter thing. The guy was like, uh, what's the, who's the, Jeff Bezos, Bezos. Jeff <laughs> Bezos made $50 billion in a single day during the pandemic. And I was like, no, no. I mean, his net worth went up $50 yeah. billion based on this person's math or whatever. And it's like, but okay, so let's say that it, let, we'll use these dumb numbers. Let's say it went up $50 billion, right? And, and he was taxed at what, 2%? Is that what we're, he's getting taxed on $50 billion? 2% uh, 2 correct. 
So what's that? A hundred million bucks? Sure. I don't. I don't. I don't I, I'm, I'm not. You're, you're asking me. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> All right. L let's say that's right. Uh, uh, when actually it might be a billion. It is a billion. It went up yeah. fifty billion. So let's say he got taxed a billion right then and there. Then the next day, the stock fell and his net worth went down by. I don't know. Let's say it went down $52 billion. The dude just lost significant money. How is that? So on that basis, it makes no sense. And the double taxation is the, is the topper, if not the entire cake. You got to pay to play, Pete. That's all I know. I think Elizabeth Warren is brilliant. I think she has her finger on the pulse of consumer advocacy needs like no one else in Washington. And I mean that. I think, I think she's a wonderful government leader. I think this makes no sense to me. And I don't have $50 million to complain about, but it just makes no sense. The U.S. is temporarily suspending tariffs on scotch, cheese, and cashmere sweaters from imports uh, from the U.K. On Thursday, as the nations work to resolve a longstanding trade dispute over commercial aircraft subsidies. Well, you, my my pent-up demand uh, just got spent. On cashmere cheese and scotch. Yeah, you like I, scotch or bourbon better. Uh, I'm more of a scotch guy. Really? Yeah. I didn't expect that. Yeah. Do you like rye uh, compared to bourbon? I I do. That you got me a bottle of rye a couple of years ago that oh, I yeah. still think about every once in a while. Was it the Weller? What was it? Uh, a uh, high country. Oh yeah, that's good. Um. Anyway, we can continue with the our show. Uh, <laughs> the decision to suspend 25% duties was announced in a joint statement by both governments and follows the UK's decision that took effect on January 1st to lift duties on products including US rum, brandy, and vodka. Levies on US bourbon and other whiskeys remain because they are delicious and the English market for them is substantial, potentially hurting US distillers. However, it could also be because they were taxed separately in response to a U.S. steel and aluminum tariff. Your choice. Uh, it could be either one. Uh, the UK shipped. Yeah, the UK shipped nearly five hundred million dollars worth of single malt scotch to the U.S. in two thousand eighteen, before the U.S. tariffs were implemented the next year. That accounted for roughly two thirds of the seven hundred and fifty million dollars in items affected by the two thousand eighteen uh, duties in the aircraft dispute. I never thought we'd say duty so much on our show without having to explain it. Dame, as I wrote in my uh, Indianapolis Business Journal column this week, our consumer habits are about to shift. We're going to go from spending money on bread making supplies, exercise equipment, and booze to airline tickets, different sized wardrobes, and booze. Booze. Yeah. I mean, th that is the constant. Always, always is you drink uh, for sorrow and bad times and you drink to celebrate in good times. Let's pour scotch on our face. Not a bad racket to be in. <laughs> I, I, I just, the, the dead air was on me. Yeah, Dame, last story. We've got about 40 seconds left. Hershey Company announced Tuesday that it will be releasing a new Reese's Cup that will be all peanut butter and no chocolate. Get Pete. out of here. No. Pete. No, this is a nightmare. I, I don't understand how they're pulling this off. 
Well, I'm telling you how they're pulling this off with low sales. That's just the dumbest thing ever. The Reese's cup is the greatest piece of candy ever invented. And more specifically, the Reese's peanut butter egg has the best ratio of peanut butter to chocolate. So to take the chocolate and just uh, to 86 it all together is just, just a poor decision. Dame, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks for your contribution. Thanks to Lisa Whitley, true genius of the team. Sending you good all, all good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. Don't buy the all peanut butter cups. That's just stupid, Dame. I don't know. Stupid. Who told them this was right? Dumb people. The Fair. market for this is going to be incredibly small. I, I can't imagine that being good. I just can't. And, and, and by the way, the inside of a Reese's peanut butter cup, it's peanut butter and uh, confectioner sugar, right? That's mm -hmm. what it is, right? It's delicious. It's the texture. It's, it's mm -hmm. grainy. It's lovely. The, the, the glossy candied peanut butter on the outside. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just, no, I'm not going to make light of peanut allergies. I'm really not because I, but I don't want anyone to take this that way. But if I had a peanut allergy, it would literally be the worst thing in my life. Not because of the imminent chance of death. It's because I love peanut butter so much that it would be like taking away one of my great pleasures. Are you one of the people that leaves a peanut butter jar out or within easy reach at all times? No, because a peanut butter needs to have a friend. A peanut butter by itself is okay. I mean, it's good. Um, George Washington Carver himself said, no, actually he didn't, <laughs> but I, I love peanut butter, but the idea of all peanut butter, it's like, no, 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 no. I need a dance partner, bro. What if, uh, no, I was going to say, what if you could dip it in chocolate, but what's the point? No, there, there's no reason for that. Because it already, yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. Dame, as soon as we hang up here, I have some administrative work I need to complete. I need to edit the, the, uh, put the radio show up to the, uh, Pete, the grumpy guy, radio podcast or tough guy, tough guy. We do. tough guy. And then I'm going to go down to the CVS, which is not far from my house. And I'm going to put on a mask and I'm going to buy some Reese's peanut butter eggs. I'm going to put them in the freezer for at least two and a half to three hours. And then I'm going to have one hell of a night. I have never been more jealous of you in my life. Yesterday was Mrs. Planner's birthday. Um, and I was like, so what do you want to do? For I took a half day, right? You mm -hmm. know, that's, what do you want to do? She's like, why don't we go on a run together? So Dame, to celebrate my wife's birthday, we ran five and a half miles together. And I, do I tell you this to brag that I ran five and a half miles partly, but it, I, I just think of the difference of people and, and opinions. That's like, if my wife's is like, Hey, it's your birthday. What do you want to do? I'm probably not going to say, let's go run five and a half miles together. How, uh, how long did her workout take after she was finished <laughs> jogging around with you? Exactly. It, it's funny. We were running at a pretty good pace. I think we did eight, 20 oh. pace for five minutes nice. Nice. that's good for me um i look over her dude she just she's like running in place like she she you could she just like can go a minute and a half faster than that could have been grading papers if it was back in the day any anything at that point all right dame uh are you taking the rest of the day off uh, that's not judgmental i'm just asking i'm planning on it yes good all right hey everybody um keep getting your vaccinations um hopefully my parents are soon uh, hopefully you're soon um this economy is going to be a rocket ship it is going to be a rocket ship hang on keep your head have a plan get a financial advisor and don't buy those stupid all peanut butter cups goodbye everybody